Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. If you will, find in your copy of Scripture, Psalm 100. We're continuing in our series, Worship, uh, Revelation and Response in Biblical Worship. I'm going to finish that series up next week with a wonderful um, text of Scripture, Revelation chapter 4. Today we're going to think of worship with thanksgiving. Oftentimes we learn some of the greatest lessons we can learn from the mouths of children. And I came across this story this week about a, a mom and her daughter who were getting ready for bed. And it was, uh, it was pretty dark outside. And the four-year-old was quite frightened of the dark. And actually that particular night, the mom was uh, going to bed with a little bit of fright as well. And they turned the light switch off and kind of everything went dark. And the, the, the little girl looked up through the window at the moon. And she, it, as she looked at the moon, she asked her mom, is, Mom, is the moon God's light? And uh, the mother said, yes, it's God's light. And then she asked her mom, will God put out his light when he goes to bed tonight? And the mom looked down at her little daughter and she said, no, my child, God never goes to sleep. And then as only a child can, she made this statement. She said, well, as long as God is awake, then there's no sense in both of us staying awake as well. It's the sense of her understanding that God is watching out for them. He's watching out for us. Uh, Some of you will remember this prayer, maybe all of you. Little prayer we teach our children to pray before mealtimes. God is great. God is good. Let us thank Him for our food. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Before we finish today, I'm going to ask you to remember something that's very similar to that, but it's the theme of the text. So here's what I want you to remember. God is great. God is good. Let us thank Him for His good. If you don't get anything else out of today's sermon, get that out of it because that is utterly true and really the point of the text. Psalm 100 is this wonderful psalm. Some actually had a church member walk out after the 930 service telling me it's his favorite psalm. It's a wonderful psalm. It was written to be sung in the temple worship uh, nearly 3,000 years ago. It was sung in Solomon's temple. It was sung throughout the Middle Ages at a service called Lauds as a reflection of God's greatness and His majesty and an offer of thanksgiving from uh, God's people to God for His glory and for His goodness. It's a beautiful psalm. Let's read it and see what the text tells us about our response to God's glory and greatness. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. His faithfulness to all generations. This week, Dr. Mike and Dustin and I were talking about this worship series and some of the music we've introduced and patterns of worship, and we were talking about what we wanted our congregation to get out of this. I mean, if you're looking at 12 weeks in, what have you taken away? And I've wondered about that. You know, I wonder about that after every sermon. What stuck? What did God use in someone's heart and life? 
But, but at the heart of this entire series, if the only thing you get out of it is that God is greater than you can imagine, that is quite simply enough. Because if we recognize the greatness and the majesty and the glory of the God that has redeemed us, then that's sufficient because it will change attitudes and behaviors and our tenor and who we are and what we do in terms of responding to God. God's greatness is all throughout this text. We're going to look at it here in just a second. But if there was one other thing we wanted you to grasp from this series, it would be that we need to be prepared worshipers. That our worship isn't just... It's not just an activity that we do. It's a preparation and a response to the greatness and majesty of God. And it's all throughout this text. Come into His presence. Enter His gates. In other words, there's an aspect of worship that happens before we gather to begin corporate worship. Effectively, we begin our worship services every Sunday with a reading from from Scripture. It kind of sets our heart and mind and focus on the fact that worship begins with God and who He is. But realistically, what should take place for us as followers of Christ is that you should be prepared to worship before you come in to worship. And this text gets at that. We're to enter with thanksgiving. We're to come into his presence. And why are we to do that? For those of you that like to fill in blanks, I'm going to give you all the blanks at the first part of the sermon. That'll help you out. And then I'm going to make some connections and applications as we go forward. God is great enough. God is great enough to be our shepherd. We're going to talk about him being a shepherd. He is great. Notice that first phrase, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. I want you to hear this. God is great and glorious. He is not just the God of conservative American Christians in the South. He is the God and Savior of people in Africa and people in China and people in the Middle East of Hebrews 3,000 years ago and of Believing Jewish individuals in Israel today. God is the Lord of all the earth. And there are, no really, there are not really any other gods. They're just not. There are other idols. There are other things to be worshipped. But they don't have power. They don't have control. They don't have sway in the world. It's one of the affirmations of the book of Psalms, indeed all of Scripture. God alone is God. He alone is worthy to be praised. Folks, He is utterly great more great than we could ever imagine. He rules and he reigns. And the text goes on to tell us that we're to know him because he's the one who made us. I mean, he's the one who spoke us into existence, spoke everything into existence out of nothing, made Adam and Eve out of dust. He made us exactly as we are, however you you appear this morning. Hair, no hair, gray hair, colored hair, however tall you are, however wide you are, However much sleep you got or didn't get, God made you. He designed you creatively. You are His. He is great. He is abundantly great. And because He is great, He is greatly to be praised. And He is great enough to be our shepherd. But He's not just great enough to be our shepherd. He's good enough to be our shepherd. He is gloriously good. Look at verse 5. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. God is not just a great God waiting in heaven to judge all of those who are sinful. God will judge. He is amazingly holy. We're going to read that. We read that in Isaiah 6. We're going to see that again in Revelation 4 in the book of Revelation. God is a God who will judge sinfulness and wickedness. But I want to tell you something. God does not sit waiting to bring judgment. He sits waiting to bring redemption. He is good gloriously, abundantly good. 
because God is great, and because God is good, guess what we should do? We should praise Him. The response to who God is is quite simply the, the imperatives here in the text. We're to rejoice. We're to make a joyful noise. Some of you say, well, the only, my, my, joys is, my noise is not joyful. And I've I, I got to admit that. I can't sing on tune. If you heard me just sing, it's not a pretty sound. Uh, it's only joyful to the Lord. But let me, let me tell you something that's pretty cool about congregational worship. Okay? If you're all singing, and our praise team and our choir singing, and I'm singing, you can't hear me sing badly. Unless you're standing right next to me, and then the, the only thing you don't have to do is stand right next to me. Stand somewhere else in the congregation. It's a joyful noise to the Lord. Hey, we're to rejoice. We're to, we're to praise Him. We're to give Him glory. We're not only rejoice, we're to serve. It says we're to serve with gladness. Serve with gladness. Not with, not with some kind of sense of duty. It's not kind of, I'm going to serve out of, I resent this. I don't like the people, but I'm serving anyway. Sometimes we do that, but we need to serve with gladness. Some of you this week will host family at Thanksgiving. And most of you don't do that because you resent your family. You do that because you love your family, right? And, and you make wonderful food, wonderful dishes. My wife makes some incredible dishes. She's an incredible cook. Thanksgiving is one of my favorite times of the year because there are things that she only makes at Thanksgiving. And I'm looking forward to all of those this upcoming week. But we serve our family with what? With gladness. We do that not because we so much like the food, though we do like the food. We like being around our family. We serve with gladness. And that's what God expects of us. We, he is great. He is good. And we are invited to make a joyful noise to Him. We're invited to serve Him with gladness. We're invited to come into His presence with singing. Like, like the way we enter into worship should be with song. And in other words, that, that should be the, the kind of permeated part of who we are as Christians. We're to sing. Maybe you didn't sing this morning. Shame on you if you didn't. But you'll have another opportunity before we finish our worship service. And, and as you continue to come back, we're going to continue to give, give you opportunities to sing because God is great enough and good enough to be worthy of our voices and song. Not only that, we're to know the Lord. The only way you enter into a relationship with God is to know Him, is to know about Him. That's why Scripture under, undergirds all that we do in worship because we need to know who God is in order to worship Him appropriately. Knowledge births praise and thanksgiving and acknowledgement of His greatness. How do we know God's great? Well, the Bible tells us He is. And then we know it experientially because God takes what He said in Scripture and applies it to our lives as Christians. We're to know the Lord. We're to enter His gates with thanksgiving. In other words, we're to be thankful. We're to thank God for, for, for what He has done. Praise is acknowledging God for who He is. It's a statement of declaration of identity. It's like acknowledging, God, you are glorious and great and majestic. Thanks is when we praise God and tell Him what He's done in our lives. God, thank you for redeeming me. Thank you for meeting my needs. Thank you for providing for me. And both are necessary. Praising God, adoring Him for who He is, and thanks, thanking God for what He's done in our lives. We're to thank Him. We're to praise Him. We're to bless His name. That's who we're to be. I mean, those are imperatives in the text. As, as His people called by His name, brought in His family, our response to God's greatness and goodness is to be rejoicing, serving, singing, knowing, praising, and thanking the Lord. Let me ask you a question. Why is it that that's not who we are as often as it should be? I mean, 
sometimes, let's be honest with ourselves, we don't feel much like rejoicing, praising, singing, or thanking. Sometimes we don't. So what is it that, that gets, us, gets in the way of us responding to God as He deserves? I think it's found in the text as well. Look at verse 3. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us. He made us. He designed us. He made you as you are. And then it says, we are His people and the sheep of His pasture. The Bible compares us as God's people to sheep. It's not a very complimentary image to us. Okay, it's a complimentary picture to God, being a shepherd, being a good shepherd. But, but sheep have a tendency to wander. They have a tendency to kind of float away from the flock for whatever reasons. In part because sheep are not altogether intelligent. Okay, if a person has a sheep for a pet, it's not because that sheep can play fetch. It's because maybe that sheep is cuddly. But that's about all they, they bring. They don't bring much to the table in terms of intelligence. They're not the greatest of pets. And they have a tendency to wander off. They have a tendency to get out of the, the sheepfold, to, to get away from the shepherd. And the shepherd then is responsible to go find that particular sheep. Sheep wander. You realize that we have a tendency to wander? Now, I'm going to make an application in a moment. I believe this text, in part, and the idea of us being a sheep reflects on the concept that those who do not yet know Christ are apart from His family, and Jesus came to redeem those who are not a part of His family yet. He came to redeem those who are lost, who have not turned their life over to Him. And as a good shepherd, He came to save them. I believe that absolutely is the truth, but I think there's also an application for those of us that are followers of Christ, that are part of His family, part of His sheepfold. You know what? We have a tendency to wonder as well. Even after coming to faith in Christ, even after receiving Christ as our Lord, even entering into a relationship with God, we have a tendency to drift away and to wonder. I know people like that. You know people like that. I know people who haven't been back to church since COVID. I know people who haven't been to church much even before COVID. You wouldn't know they're a sheep by the way that they speak their words or what they do on Sunday mornings because they don't act like a follower of Christ. They've drifted away. They've wondered. They've wandered away from the faith. Some of you know of people in your life who, who they profess a faith, but they don't, have, they don't show it in any way that they lived their life. They're, they've wandered and they've drifted. I want to tell you, that is a reality among those that are followers of Christ. It's a possibility. It's a possibility for even some of us who are regularly at church and worshiping God. The psalmist in Psalm 119, one of my favorite psalms, a massive psalm, the longest chapter in the Bible, 176 verses long. For 175 verses, the psalmist acknowledges and extols God's Word. He talks about God's Word as its precepts and promises and, and what it means and how we obey it and, and its rules. And he acknowledges that Word. He talks about that Word. He praises that Word. He talks about he's going to sing the Word of God. He's going to obey the Word of God. It's going to shine a light on his path. And then he gets to 176. Psalm 119.176, and he testifies this. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. And then he implores God, seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. In other words, what the psalmist says, the psalmist who obeyed God's word, who had God's word, who was right there with God's word, he had not admitted to God, I have wandered away. I've drifted away from the sheepfold. Will you seek out your servants. Sheep are not altogether intelligent. They tend to wander away. 
And when they wander away, they're in danger of, of death, impending death, because sheep are also not very defense-oriented. They're not powerful. They don't have a defense mechanism. Middle Eastern sheep don't have horns. They, they don't have any way to, to protect themselves. They don't have hoofs that, that can kick and, and, and kill an animal that's trying to attack them. They don't, they don't taste bad to other animals. They don't have like poisonous defense mechanisms like some other animals in God's creation. They don't have like oct- octopi have where they can spew ink and scare their predators away. They are defenseless. They have no ability to rescue themselves from danger. When a sheep gets lost, a lost from the flock, it wanders away, and when it figures out it's lost, it gets afraid. So timid and afraid that it hovers down right where it is, wherever that is, in shade or not in shade, in the open or not in the open, hovers down and shivers in fear and then starts bleating, bleating out, hoping that the shepherd will hear the bleat and will return. But that bleat is also, obviously, a call for a wolf or for a lion or for another predator to come take the sheep and kill the sheep. Sheep are defenseless. They're they're not powerful. They can't rescue themselves. They can't take care of themselves. What are sheep good for? They're good for wool and they're good for worship. So all sheep are good for. They they can provide wool for a family to be dressed in winter in the the Middle East, but but they also were the, the, the animal that was particularly used in worship. A sheep without blemish would be selected for the family to sacrifice in worship. That's what sheep are good for. The, the picture here is that you have a sheep that is wandering, you have a sheep that is, that is scattered, and you have a shepherd that is great enough to rescue and a shepherd that is good enough to rescue. You see, sometimes sheep wander. They wander because they've been kind of tempted by power or by pleasures or by privilege, and, and they get caught up in some kind of internal sin. It, it's a private sin. Sometimes that person that, that you wonder, why have they never, why haven't they been back to church forever? Why, why, why are they not where they need to be spiritually? It may be a private sin, such as pornography or some kind of bitterness or some kind of unforgiveness, or their feelings got hurt and they never dealt with, with kind of making that, that wrong right and reconciled. And so what do they do? They drift away. They, they wander away. Some, some uh, sheep wander away for more blatant reasons. They have open adultery or immorality in their lives or they, they've, they've, disob- they've broken a law, like they've stolen something, embezzlement, and so they feel shame. They're away. So some sheep drift because of private sins. Some sheep drift because of public sins. Some sheep wander away because not just of the sin they've committed, but maybe the sin that's been committed on them. Some sheep have been taken away by wolves. Some sheep have been taken away by predators and by enemies. And so they've been heartbroken. They've been devastated. People that have experienced abuse in all of its forms, physical, emotional, verbal abuse, sexual abuse. In in some cases, people have experienced spiritual abuse at the hands of someone in a church. That's devastating. You know what happens when someone is hurt that way? There's a tendency for that person to... Walk away from that place where they were hurt or those people that, might have, that they might associate with that hurt. Here's the reason I'm telling you all this. Because we have a shepherd who is great enough to rescue from any of those wanderings. Do you realize that there's not a sin you can commit that puts you outside of God's 
gracious and great ability to save you from? Do you realize there's not a sin that can be done to you? That God is not good enough to bring some measure of healing because He is the good shepherd. In other words, the the point of the text is, is that God is a good shepherd. We're the sheep of His pasture. And He is both great enough to rescue us from our sin and good enough to care for us when He brings us back into His care as His family. The picture there is none other than Jesus. The Bible tells us in in, uh, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. David testifies to that. And I just happen to think David wrote Psalm 100 and 119 and makes those connections. And in the New Testament, Jesus himself claims to be the good shepherd. In in the book of Matthew, he talks about that, the book of Luke, Luke. And then he specifically makes that claim in John chapter 10. He is the good shepherd who seeks out those sheep who are far from him. He is... Great enough to save and rescue. He is good enough to save and rescue. And you know how he saves and rescues. The shepherd, when he goes out to find a lost sheep, he always, it always costs him something. In the parable in the New Testament where Jesus talks about the, the hundred sheep, man who has a hundred sheep, and he leaves the ninety-nine and goes after the one. The picture there is that the shepherd risks the ninety-nine to go after the one. Some of us, maybe in Christian ministry and church life, we may say, oh man, I've got plenty to do here. There's plenty here with all the folks that are here at church, all the folks that are here, all the needs that are here. Why in the world would I risk caring for all the folks here to go after the one over there? Why would I do that? A lot of times that's maybe what we as humans would think. That's not what the shepherd thinks. The good shepherd is willing to risk the 99, not not entirely because they're under his care as well risk the 99 to go after the one and and here's what it says it says that God cares about every individual deeply cares about every individual the good shepherd wants to restore those individuals to a right relationship with himself he wants to bring them back here's what it says to the 99 if the shepherd will leave the 99 for the one then we have assurance that if I wander off one time the shepherd will come after me too You know, every time a shepherd had to go find a sheep, it cost him something dearly. It cost him time, effort, and energy when he would find a sheep after that sheep was bleeding, bleating, and and he would try to rescue that sheep. The sheep would be so uh, afraid and in shock that they couldn't really walk back. So the shepherd would have to pick the sheep up and carry that sheep on his shoulders back to a place of rescue. Cost the shepherd. The Bible tells us, that what it cost our Lord and Savior as a good shepherd to bring sheep into his family is his own life. See, if sheep are only good enough for worship, it's what we're made for. We're made to serve God. We're made to worship God. We're made for wool and for worship. That's who we are as sheep. And if we're going to worship God, that means we're going to be sacrificed. Thankfully, Romans 12, 1 and 2 tells us it's a living sacrifice. Not, we don't die. We don't, God doesn't need us to physically sacrifice our lives for Him in terms of paying our blood because our blood's not good enough to pay anyway. God doesn't need us to be physical sacrifices. He needs us to be living sacrifices or invites us to that so that we can worship Him faithfully. He invites that of us. But what does it take in order for that to take place? You know what it takes? It takes the shepherd himself becoming a sheep on our behalf. 
the good shepherd who went after us to bring us back into relationship with himself, what it costs him in order to do that is his own life. Some of you are sitting here today and you know of folks that have wandered away. You've got people, if I could ask you to make a list of people that you're concerned for their spiritual condition, you know exactly who's going to go on that list. And some of you legitimately think about that list and you think, man, that person doesn't know God. There's no fruit in their life or that person definitely doesn't know God. I've talked to them about their soul and they don't have a relationship with Jesus and they need salvation. They're on that list. And then some of you have people on your list that have just kind of drifted and wandered away from the faith over the years. Not sure where they are, not sure where they are spiritually, may have professed faith, but don't know where they, don't know where they would be. You're concerned about them. You're concerned whether or not they could ever come back, whether or not they will ever come back. You're wondering, are they, have they gone too far? Have they gone so far God won't receive them back? Have they gone so far God can't find them? Can, can the shepherd actually go after them? Is he, will he be successful in reaching them? I just want to remind you, that there is no distance too far for the shepherd to go after a straying lost sheep. If Jesus will go from heaven to earth, there's no distance on earth that's any further from where Jesus is to where that sheep is than there is from heaven to earth. If Jesus will go that far to bring about the redemption of mankind by dying on the cross for our sins, I just want to remind you, there's no distance that God won't go to reach your husband. There's no distance God won't go to rescue your child. There's no distance God won't go to bring that person back into a saving relationship with himself. There's no distance he can't go, he won't go. He is the good shepherd. He died on Calvary's cross so that those who are straying and wandering and far from God would receive salvation and forgiveness and eternal life. And here's what Psalm 100 tells us. God is great enough to exceed the distance of their sins in order to bring them into a right relationship with Himself. Your sins don't exceed God's greatness. You may have broken God's heart. You may have disappointed plenty of other people. You may live in shame at your unrighteousness. Your sins are still not greater than the love of Christ shed on the cross to bring us to salvation. You may wonder, is God really, is He good enough? I feel ashamed at what happened to me and then what I did because of what happened to me. And we carry with us this shame that, um, can I ever be loved by God? Can I ever be cared by God again? I just want to remind you, I just want to remind you that the psalmist said, seek me as a straying sheep after that psalmist knew God. Can I just tell you, there are plenty of times in my life and plenty of times in your life where the only thing that brought you back is the grace and love of the good shepherd who went after you. It's the only thing. Can't credit it to ourselves, can't credit it to another person. It's God chasing after you, God seeking after you. That's what Jesus said his mission was, to seek and save those who are lost. Let me make an application and close with a story. Folks, I just want to say this out loud. We live in a very blessed place to be able to hear the gospel, to know Christ, to testify to Him in worship every single week. But we live in a world full of 8 billion people. Only 2 billion people in our world claim any kind of affinity with Jesus Christ. 
And, and if you, you're going to look at that number, that number is full of all different denominations. And some of those denominations are not clearly articulating the gospel in a way that I'm assured that all two billion of those are truly Christian. Six billion on planet Earth do not know Christ as their Lord and Savior. Affirmedly so. They believe in something else. And at least two billion, probably more like two and a half billion people on planet Earth now exist in one of those unreached people groups or in a place where there's little to no access to the gospel. And I just want to tell you, Jesus did not just come to die for us. He came to die for them. One of the reasons missions is so important to us and one of the reasons we need to send more people out on missions and pray for missions and tell our neighbors and the nations about Jesus is because He died for their soul and for their salvation as well. You know what? God does wonderful, glorious, encouraging things to bring us to Himself. The Good Shepherd will chase us down wherever we are. See, I don't believe you're here by accident today. I don't know why you're here. Maybe someone invited you. Maybe this is your place of, of regular worship attendance. And maybe you're here and you're not sure about what's going on in your soul and your life. I don't think you're here by accident. I think God orchestrated the events that got you to this place today. And He did so because He wants you to know Him. And He wants you to know that He loves you. He wants you to know He is great and He is good. He can save you from any of your sins. He can bring you back into a right relationship with Himself. Because God specializes in doing just that. In 1844, one of the greatest tragedies in U.S. military history occurred when uh, the USS Princeton was floating down the Potomac. It was a newly minted warship, uh, and they wanted to, to kind of celebrate this ship that was by floating it down the Potomac. They had the President of the United States on the ship, Secretaries of the War, or Secretaries of State and Navy. They had senators and other political important figures on that ship that particular day. And in order to celebrate the ship and the inauguration of it, they fired the cannon named the Peacemaker, they fired it once in kind of celebration of the grandeur of the ship. And just before they were going to fire it again, one of the senators on board the ship, Senator Thomas Benton of Missouri, was standing right next to the cannon. And just before they fired it the second time, a friend of his tapped him on the shoulder, and Senator Benton turned around to speak to his friend. And when he did, the Secretary of the Navy butted in in front of him, took his place right next to the cannon, and just as that took place, that occurred, when the cannon went off, instead of firing its projectile, it exploded, killing the secretaries of the war and Navy, killing others that were standing around. But because his friend touched him on the shoulder and he turned out of the way, Senator Benton was rescued, which was fortuitous in his life because he was a man who had made significant political enemies, had created turmoil and caused all kind of friction was angry at others, uh, and he, he was kind of at odds with Daniel Webster at the time. And after this event, he wrote this letter to Daniel Webster. He said, it seemed to me, Mr. Webster, as if that touch on my shoulder was the hand of the Almighty stretched down there, drawing me away from what otherwise would have been instantaneous death. That one circumstance has changed the whole current of my thought in life. I feel that I'm a different man. I want, in the first place, to be at peace with all those with whom I have been so sharply at variance. 
God rescued Senator Benton's life so that he could be brought back into a right relationship with himself. Folks, the good shepherd is simply inviting you to turn yourself over to him. If you don't know what else to do, pretend like you're a sheep and bleed a prayer to God. Tell him that you're in need. Tell him that you don't know what needs to happen in your life, but you're ready for him to find you and to rescue you. Christian, if you're here today and you've wandered away, know that God will draw you back. He loves you. He'll forgive you for whatever has happened. He'll draw you back into his family. You're his. You're a sheep of his pasture. He's not going to let you go. If you're here and you're wondering and worrying about a loved one, Christian, I want you to be encouraged. The Good Shepherd has not stopped seeking after that child, that grandchild, that neighbor, that friend, that coworker. He is seeking them out. He is seeking them out more passionately, more faithfully than we could ever imagine. Keep praying for that soul. Keep praying for that individual. Keep praying for that child, that grandchild, that neighbor. And if you're here today and you're not a part of God's family, you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus alone, you haven't confessed your sins and repented of your unrighteousness, I'm going to ask you today, would you trust Jesus to be your Savior? Would you receive the gift of the Good Shepherd? He died on a cross so that you could be forgiven of your sins. So that you could be washed away of your unrighteousness. He came to give you life. He came to bring you into His family. He came to rescue you. He came to forgive you. All you have to do is put your faith and trust in Jesus alone. Turn your life over to Him and follow, you, follow Him. And He'll forgive you, cleanse you, and bring you into a saving relationship. That's the work of the Good Shepherd. And that's the invitation He gives. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, if you will. If you need to trust Jesus to be your Savior, you come. I'd love to talk to you about that. Maybe you've got a burden on your heart for that wandering sheep, somebody who's drifted away. Would you come pray for them? If nothing else, think back on the goodness of God that brought you to salvation and take some moments and thank Him for what He did to rescue you when you were drifting. Father, as I look out across this gathering of your people, I see a lot of glorious stories. Some situations I know and some I don't. Those some that I do, Lord, I, I've seen you do a glorious work of restoration, forgiveness, renewal, bringing that person back into your family, helping them heal. Lord, you are good. You are gloriously good and great and able to restore. And this congregation of people, myself included, is testimony of that truth. But Father, there are more in need of restoration. As I look out, there are people I don't see. There are faces of people that need to know you. There are individuals who need a renewal and a restored relationship with the Good Shepherd. And I pray, Lord, that you would seek them out you would find them and draw them back to yourself. As I look out and as I think about people on my prayer list, I know of people who are lost, who have not trusted you as Lord and Savior, who have not repented of their sins, who have not become a part of your family. I pray, Lord, for their salvation today. Draw them back to you. Grant them repentance. Grant them life. Grant them salvation. For you are the good shepherd who came to die for them, that they may respond to you and know you and follow you. And Heavenly Father, for us as your people, 
We acknowledge that you're great and that you're good. We praise you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. May we this Thanksgiving week celebrate the goodness of God who would bring us into his family, who would seek us out, and who would protect us as his people. We have much to be grateful for. May we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.